Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. I hold this letter here in my hand A plea, a petition, a kind of prayer If someone is baptized but they deny what Scripture teaches about baptism, the baptism now saves you, the baptism delivers forgiveness, life, and salvation, are they then consequently denying the Holy Spirit? That's one of the questions from our listeners on this Monday, August 28th. It's time to go through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to go through that email. And then, a little bit later in this hour, Dr. Carl Beckwith will join us. He's professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. We will be remembering Monica and her son, more famous, of course, the North African Bishop Augustine. It's time to go through listener email. The Issues Etc. email address is talkback at issuesetc.org and our comment line 618-223-8382. Let's begin with Jerry in Southern Ohio. Jerry writes, can the denial of your baptism be the denial of the Holy Spirit? I see so many being baptized, but only believing that it is an outward sign of faith towards God and not the means of grace that God has given to save them then outwardly denies that God now saved them through their baptism. I try to talk to people about this, but I'm afraid that in asking the question, their response will be their denial. Thanks for all the great Christ-centered cross-focused content that you put out on the Christ net. Just another poor, miserable sinner saved by grace, concludes Jerry in Southern Ohio. Jerry, thanks for listening in Ohio. It's a good question, and... I'm going to give you the short answer, then I'll give you the long answer. Not necessarily. Does someone denying the Holy Spirit's work in baptism, does it necessarily mean that they're going to deny the Holy Spirit? No. But it could, given the proper circumstances. So we think about it this way. There's the doctrine itself, and then there are the implications of the doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching, so doctrine can either be true or it can be false. And true doctrine has implications, and false doctrine has implications. And I think what happens is a lot of the time Christians who say they're baptized and they say, but it really didn't do anything. That was just a ceremony I went through. Yes, God commanded me to do it, but it's a ceremony, a rite or a ritual that I went through to just express my inner faith or my trust in God, it was essentially my work, baptism. That teaching, it's a false teaching, but it's a teaching, that teaching has implications. I think a lot of Christians just don't think them through. First of all, you need to ask the question, why would God command you to do something that's completely an outward ritual that has no actual power or meaning or anything? It's just a rite of passage. Why would he do that? Just an outward ordinance. And really, essentially, an empty gesture. 
Why would God command that? It's a good question to begin with. But if you're thinking that your baptism is your work, that has a lot of implications into the rest of your theology, doesn't it? So it usually starts this way. Well, baptism is just my work. It's something that God has commanded me to do. And since God doesn't save me by anything I do, then baptism is really can't be anything more than just an outward thing. And baptism certainly can't have any role in my salvation, except as, as kind of the rite of passage to publicly announce that I believe in Jesus. The motivation there is really good. They're trying to keep human works out of salvation. The mistake that they have made is really rather basic, and that is Scripture teaches abundantly that baptism is not a human work. Baptism is God's work. It's something God does, not something that we do. Now, if you stop right there and say, okay, if baptism then is God's work, then to say, as St. Peter does say quite plainly, baptism now saves you in 2 Peter, there's no problem with that. If it is God that is doing this and God that does the saving and God does the saving in and through baptism, once we realize that baptism is God's work and not our work, there's no danger of injecting human works into salvation. Now, the funny thing is most Christians who believe that baptism really isn't anything, it's just a human work, do the same thing with faith. There's the implication of believing that, and they end up saying, well, faith is something that I do. Well, if faith is something that I do, then that means something that you do has a bearing on your salvation. And they don't see the implications. They don't see how those how an error in one teaching can lead to errors in another teaching. That's where we get to the, your question. Can it lead to an error in denying the work of the Holy Spirit or denying the Holy Spirit altogether? It can, but it doesn't necessarily do that in individual circumstances because Christians are not consistent. They can hold, they can hold to an error without thinking through its implications and at the same time believe other things that are actually true and taught by the Bible. They don't realize that that error affects what they should logically believe elsewhere, but we're happy for the inconsistency. So when you're talking to them about this, instead of saying, does baptism save? That is a question that needs to come second to who does baptism and then take them through the passages where Paul will talk about baptism being a washing of regeneration. Well, who does regeneration? God does it. A renewal in the Holy Spirit. Well, there's the work of the Holy Spirit right there. Who does the renewing? The Holy Spirit. Take them through the passages that pertain to baptism and show them that baptism is God's work, not our work. And then see, now, does it really present any conflict to say that God saves us in and through baptism? That he takes the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, and applies it to us with this water and his word? And one other thing to bring up with them is, does God's word save people? Does the proclamation of God's word save people? So if we are commanded to baptize with one of the most powerful words that God has, which is his own name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, don't you think that word would actually be doing something? And that's how I'd approach it.
This email comes from Mark in Buena Vista, Virginia. Dear Pastor Wilkin and Issues Etc. In your listeners' comments feature this week, you stated that your interviews of the authors of the collection of essays about the walkout at Concordia Seminary were well-received by many. I add my voice to that chorus. As I was a sophomore at Concordia Junior College, Milwaukee in 1974, and I went down the wrong path, graduating from Seminex, and eventually a couple of decades as an evangelical Lutheran Church in America pastor. Finally, my wife and I returned to the Missouri Synod. Of course, suffice it to say, there is a lot in my autobiography between those previous sentences. Two items. First, an observation. In 1973, Roe v. Wade was handed down by the Supreme Court. I think 73 and 74 are very much related in terms of doctrinal and moral decay. Unless I missed it in the essays and the interviews, I suggest that the relationship between Roe and the walkout would be an interesting topic to pursue. Second, one of the topics, the third use of the law, has raised a question. Yes, progressivist Lutheranism did away with the third use of the law, but it seems this has resulted also in the silencing of the word of the first use of the law, as we have seen an increasing intensity that not wielding the sword to curtail evil doing has resulted in the riots of 2020 and even more. Do you think there is a relationship between denial of the first use resulting from the same denial of the third use? I think that this lawlessness, as in the man of lawlessness and the Antichrist, resulting in civil lawlessness, what do you think? Your interviews and reading the essays and rediscovering the issues has been very helpful for me, cementing much of what I read and have gone through to arrive where the Lord wants me to be. Thank you, and thank you for listening, Mark. Mark, thank you very much. I bet he's got a story to tell. I mean, being a student in the walkout and then being misled out into the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, finally returning to the truth. So you have two questions here that are somewhat related. And I think that's a great idea to have someone do some thinking about the not-so-coincidental confluence of Roe v. Wade in 1973. And, well, I don't know if we could draw a direct line to the walkout itself, but you can draw a line between the two points, I think, in this general sense. In addition to buying into the liberal Bible scholarship, the skeptical Bible scholarship that the faculty at Concordia Seminary did at the time, they were doing this because they were drinking deeply from the spirit of the age. And part of the spirit of the age was skepticism regarding God's word. And if they were drinking deeply from the skepticism regarding the truth of God's word and everything else that the spirit of the age delivers, I don't think it's any coincidence that, at least in the terms of the timing, that they felt brave enough at the time, having kind of reached a threshold or crossed a threshold culturally and morally with the passage of Roe v. Wade, to say, now we're going to throw off all restraint. Scripture talks about the Old Testament people of God eventually just kind of giving up. They don't give up on God per se because they just reshape God into their own image. The ancient Israelites never say there is no God. They never deny openly that there is a God called Yahweh. They just reshaped him according to the winds and the spirit of the age. 
And what happened in each and every case? They throw off all restraint. And I think you see the beginning of that in things like the walkout of 1974, throwing off all restraint, willing just to stand up in front of an entire church body full of lay people and tell them God's word is not true. We're finally going to come clean and tell you what we've been teaching here for decades. And that leads to your second question, which is when it comes to the denial of the third use of the law, which is a big part of what was going on then. Be sure you define the three uses. The third use of the law is the law that applies only to Christians, only Christian, and it's essentially the teaching and instructing function of the law. Only Christians can be rightly taught by the law, and that is the third use. That's the the use that the Holy Spirit uses upon the Christian to continue to instruct them in good works. The first use is kind of the civil use of the law. It's the general use of the law that applies to all men. God's law written on their hearts that essentially curbs outbreaks of evil and violence. The second use is the accusing function of the law, where God's law speaks to the heart and and shows you your sin. But if you deny any of those uses, you will eventually deny all the others. The safest, quote-unquote, safest route that a lot of Christians take, and sadly, in particular, Lutherans take sometimes, is to deny the third use of the law because it seems like the most uh, superfluous use of the law. We can deny that use of the law. They do it for a lot of bad reasons, and they essentially say the law has no function in the Christian's life other than just to show them their sin occasionally. It can do nothing more. The Holy Spirit can do nothing more with the law. Even though the Holy Spirit's God, the Holy Spirit can do nothing more in the life of the Christian except simply show them their sin. And to deny that instructing function of the law, the teaching function of the law, will eventually lead you to deny the second use because you, you have decided that the law is either no longer God's word and not useful even to a Christian, even to instruct them, or that it's somehow bad. And once you've decided that the law is bad with regard to the third use of the law, guess what? Pretty soon the law is going to be bad with regard to the second use. Then the law won't be able to accuse you anymore And then that leads to, as you say, these general outbreaks of immorality, people throwing off all restraint in society with the denial of the first use of the law. And and so in the end, you do end up with a genuine antinomianism where God's law no longer speaks and is silenced. We'll be right back. Communication's never been as easy as today And it would make me happy When you've gone so far away Send me an email that says I love you I think satire and humor are worth defending. I think free speech is worth defending, and I think it's a tool that we need to use in the church. Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. Humor is our tool. Humor is something that God created. The left just co-opted it for all the terrible comedies and stuff that you see and all the vulgar stuff coming out of Hollywood. It's ours and we're going to reclaim it. And I think that's one of the, one of the missions of the Babylon Bee. The left wants to take down humor. The left demands that things that mock them and point out how ridiculous they are being get torn down. But we're just going to keep answering that with more and more humor. And I think it starts here. It starts in the church. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves. 
You can watch and listen to a recording of Kyle Mann's presentation, Making the Case Against Cancel Culture, from this year's Making the Case Conference. For a donation of $300, you can download an audio and video recording. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. The days are shortening and it's soon back to school. Ad Crucem has beautiful posters and art to adorn your home school or classroom and we print them right here in our Colorado workshop. Come and see our various prints by Cronach, Holbein, Bonat, Tintoretto and Caravaggio. Stock up on our daily prayer posters, creed posters and other beautiful Christ-focused artworks. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. 